I'm only human after all And you're only human after all Don't put the blame on me Welcome to Ponder Exchange, a podcast about Christian faith and armed service hosted by me, Brother Logan Isaac. First Formation is spiritual exercise for high church lowlifes looking to get the fuck up and pray. Join us every weekday morning to hear the good news through grunts and with grunts in the unity of the Holy Spirit as one church forever and ever. Fall in. Psalm 75. We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks. Your name is near. People tell of your wondrous deeds. At the set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity. When the earth totters with all its inhabitants, it is I who keep its pillars steady. I say to the boastful, do not boast. And to the wicked, do not lift up your horn, and do not lift up your horn on a high, or speak with insolent neck. For not from the east or from the west, and not from the wilderness comes lifting up, but it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine well mixed. He will pour a draft from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. But I will rejoice forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked I will cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be exalted. Daniel chapter 12. At that time, Michael, the great prince, the protector of your people, shall arise. There shall be a time of anguish, such as never has occurred since the nations first came into existence. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, keep the words secret and the books sealed until the time of the end. Many shall be running back and forth, and evil shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and two others appeared, one standing on this bank of the stream and one on the other. One of them said to the man clothed in linen, who was upstream, How long shall it be until the end of these wonders? The man clothed in linen, who was upstream, raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven. And I heard him swear by the one who lives forever that it would be for a time, two times, and a half a time, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be accomplished. I heard but could not understand, so I said, My Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel. For the words are to remain secret and sealed until the end of until the time of the end. Many shall be purified, cleansed, and refined, but the wicked shall continue to act wickedly. None of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. From the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away, and the abomination that desolates is set up, there shall be one thousand two hundred ninety days. Happier those who persevere and attain the thousand three hundred thirty five days. But you go your way and rest. You shall rise for your reward at the end of the days. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, verses 15 through 21. 
When Jesus became aware of this, he departed. Many crowds followed him, and he cured all of them, and he ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not wrangle or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed or quench a smoldering wick until he brings to justice until he brings justice to victory and in his name the gentiles will hope good morning and welcome to the eighth wednesday after pentecost this is brother logan isaac broadcasting for uh, from the Appalachian Abbey in Knoxville, Maryland. This reading comes to uh, this morning's readings come to us from Psalm 75, Daniel 12, and Matthew 12. On the um, the the days I have left broadcasting from the Appalachian Abbey are fewer and um, uh, don't have I don't have very many left. Um, I don't think that I will need to interrupt my uh, uh, broadcasting first formation, but if I do know that it's because I'm in the middle of a move with two children and um, my partner's working every day for the next week and a half, uh, and we have to be out by Tuesday. So uh, if you don't hear from me, that's why. Uh, If I have listeners who would like to co-host by reading uh, or possibly providing a reflection uh, for those people that I know and uh, kind of know what I'm about, do uh, feel free to reach out to me. Um, and uh, on that note, the um, the readings for today from Daniel and Matthew are, are cryptic. Um, and by that I mean um, <clears throat> it talks about the end. Uh, it's the beginning of the end for Jesus in Matthew 12 and in Daniel uh, uh, he's having this vision where it's talking about the end days and Daniel is one of the I want to say two books uh, in the Old Testament that have some Aramaic in them and Daniel is also very apocalyptic and we get that here Um, I don't know if this part was written in Aramaic and there's bits and pieces in uh, in the New New Testament that are written in Aramaic Um, not a whole lot but um Aramaic, if I remember correctly, it was kind of the like it was kind of the street language. Greek was the formal language for the provinces. Um, uh, the Romans, when they conquered the Greeks, they loved everything about them, and uh, they adopted all their gods and gave them Roman Latin names. And they take, took Greek to uh, to be kind of like the formal language for a while, and then Latin later comes in vogue. Anyway. Um, if you were well-traveled, like Paul, um, not very many of the apostles, if any of them, well, before, uh, before they were apostles, um, like Paul would have spoken Greek and he wrote in Greek because that was, uh, in scholarly circles, the word is lingua franca, the, the vulgar tongue or the, the, the language spoken on the street was, um, Aramaic. It's kind of like, uh. It's a Semitic language, but it's it's not exactly the same. Um, and Hebrew, 
I think in Jewish circles was also kind of formal, but if you are an educated, somewhat wealthy Jew in Rome, you would have spoken and written in Greek and then been prepared to to uh, have conversations in Hebrew, you know, like in the temple. But anyway, um, the I say it's the beginning of the end, not just because it kind of is, but um, the 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 kind of connecting point in these two readings is the secrecy or the the seeming secrecy. In Daniel, um, he is told in his vision the words would remain secret and sealed until the time of the end. Um, and clearly they were not, unless we've already reached and then passed the end, because the uh, we have the, these words, so they were not secret. Um, but calling them secret and releasing them is a strategic move. In Daniel's case, it may have served to kind of up the ante. When someone reads that, they are they get the sense of being privy to something. Uh, maybe Daniel or the author of Daniel um, includes this to basically create a hook to pull readers in, but also establish a certain kind of fabricated authority uh, to uh, just to kind of throw an idea out there. What I mean by that is is um, to say something secret, but then to release it makes everybody feel like it's important when maybe it's not necessarily important. Um, this may have been the case with Revelation, um, but in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, we see something similar where Jesus heals someone and then he tells everybody not to tell anybody what has happened. And what we miss uh, just prior to this in Matthew that's cut out from the Rise Common Lectionary for this morning was when he heals on the Sabbath. He stretched, He heals somebody's atrophied hand, and it was not long after, or it was in response to somebody saying, is it okay to heal on the Sabbath? And Jesus says, uh, he uses this, um, not a parable, but like a, a metaphor. If you've lost a sheep down a well, is it not right to get go get your sheep, even if it's the Sabbath? And he says um, in Matthew, it is good to do, or it's, it's never wrong to do good on the Sabbath, as he heals a man on the Sabbath, which at the time was thought of as work, and to do work on the Sabbath is wrong. Um, and so in the passage we get, Jesus is telling them, look, don't go around telling everybody, because he'd caught wind that that, that was the moment at which the religious leaders decided that they needed to kill him, and that he was too big of a risk or whatever, I don't know what their actual motivations were, but according to Matthew, that healing episode is when the Sadducees and other Pharisees and religious leaders decided that the only way to solve whatever problem it was that they saw in Jesus, the only way to solve it was through execution. And so Jesus says, don't go around telling everybody. Um, But Jesus does this invariably. Um, In Mark, uh, he does it quite a lot. It's called, or it's referred to as the messianic secret. Look, don't tell everybody I'm the Messiah, even though it's quite clear. And the reader of Mark, and in this case, Matthew, um, the secret is like this. It's clearly not a secret. 
Um, it wasn't then because people were talking about it. It isn't right now, just like in Daniel. Clearly, they weren't for the end of times because we've now got it. There's something going on in this secrecy. Um, and there's all kinds of theories as to why this is important to Jesus, uh, according to Mark and in this small passage in Matthew. Um, but it gets, the first thing I think of is um, the the reminder or the the idea that we shouldn't allow our right hand to know what our left hand is doing. You know, keep it a secret. It's not really the secrecy of it, or maybe it is. The point is to not get such a big head about it. The, the reason you're doing it has to be right. And to keep it right, you can't go around, you know, bragging about this good thing that you've done or this good thing that you are because it will get away from you. It will get away from anybody. Um, and in Matthew, Jesus already has this, this sense that um, it's getting ahead of him. And if things are supposed to go the way things are supposed to go, he still has, I mean, what was this, Matthew 12? I mean, there's still, you know, even in Matthew, there's several chapters left. Um, and so, you know, we can't, we can't, you know, rush to the cross um, uh, is one way to think about this. Another way um, to think about secrecy and um, humility, the idea being that, um, you know, we don't, or Jesus, for example, doesn't go around boasting that he's the Messiah for the same reason that he doesn't call down legions of, of angels to protect himself when he's when they come to arrest him. Um, and it has everything to do with taking the form of a slave, taking the form of a grunt, um, even though he could very easily and justifiably um, assume control of the created world, assume control of the religious establishment, um, but that isn't the way the, that Jesus' kingdom is coming. It's coming stealthily. It's coming quietly. And not the, you know, quiet professional like we get today where every friggin' Navy SEAL and Green Beret writes a book about how they shot Bin Laden in his penis and then, like, skullfucked him or something. Like, we're, we're missing something in our own culture where uh, modesty and secrecy are kind of conflated. It's no secret that Jesus is the Messiah. It's no secret that God, that he is God and he has all the power that he could possibly desire at his fingertips, but that's precisely the point. He doesn't desire power. He desires something else, something like relationship. Um, there's this wonderful story um, about Bill Watterson. Um, Bill Watterson is the creator of Calvin and Hobbes. And um, most millennials and Gen Xers um, I shouldn't say most millennials. Most Gen Xers and Gen Y, I'm an old millennial, which makes me, I don't know what the hell I am, but I'm an old millennial. And I grew up on Calvin and Hobbes. And this is like just the, I don't know, it's the best comic strip you could possibly imagine. Fun, um, quirky, but also really mature and just really well drawn and, and, and done. And Bill Watterson did it for 10 or 11 years or something, and then he stopped at the at the prime of his um, syndication. Uh, not too unlike Seinfeld, where they didn't just wait for everything to kind of wind down and then call it quits. They stopped at the, at the peak of their, their popularity and fame. Um, the effect that had was really significant. Bill Watterson refused, um, and he's still alive. Otherwise, the rights would change in a 
certain way. Um, but he always refused to allow the rights to merchandising to be released. The only thing that is actually Calvin and Hobbes are those comic books. Um, and at 10, 11, whatever years, he just stopped doing it. And he said, well, I've accomplished what I wanted to accomplish. Um, and then he drops off the face of the map. And he makes one or two appearances here or there. Um, but uh, if you know where he lives, and it's, it's possible to find out, um, and it's no longer true, but um, he, um, he, the story goes, is he would go into the local bookshop, the independent bookshop in this little town in, like, Ohio, and he would sign his name in one of the Calvin and Hobbes comic books that they sold there. Wouldn't tell anybody. Pick one at random. Maybe there are three, four copies out. He'd sign one and then leave. Somebody would find it, and um, it was immediately priceless um, because Bill Watterson doesn't do interviews very much. He doesn't really, I don't even know if he ever does, like, autographs, but he signs these books as, like, this quirky thing, um, although he could have made millions of dollars off merchandising or, you know, signing away the rights, but the, what he was trying to accomplish was one very specific thing, he didn't try to get any more than what he aimed to accomplish with this one thing. And he made enough to, you know, retire at like 35 or something. You know, better than the military. The military is like 38. I think he retired earlier than that. Um, and so this, this secrecy, it's not really secret. You could find out where he lives. I'm sure he gets stalkers. But the, the modesty of it is what I find so compelling. Um, the choice to forego um, deserved prestige, resources, privilege. That's what modesty is. Jesus can take everything because he's God. It belongs to God, but he doesn't. He chooses not to. He chooses relationship. He chooses modesty, um, which goes against especially our own culture uh, today. Um, and the it's not that... Um, he kind of makes plays of, of it and you know like Daniel saying oh it's it's going to be secret for the until the end of the days even though like clearly it's not a secret but he does that story just reminds me of this messianic secret not that Bill Watterson is the messiah uh, but that Jesus had a very clear specific limited in this paradoxical way very limited mission that he was there to accomplish. And when he did it, he stepped aside and let the apostles and Paul and, and the church do what we uh, are here to do as well. And that's what I find so incredible about, you know, not the Messianic secret, but this like, this foregoing of what is due, the humility wrapped up in um, Jesus the person, um, who could have had everything, who struggled with, you know, allowing this cup to pass from his mouth, you know, hopefully not having to go through the passion and be crucified. Um, but God, Jesus, fully human, chose to do everything that um, occurred to him. Um, not because, you know, it was a nice thing to have happen or um, anything like that, but because he was mission-focused, and he didn't try to do any more than what his mission called for. Um, he didn't want any, anything getting ahead of him. 
he didn't want people to 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 think more highly of him than they needed to at any given moment and i think i that's why humility uh, is one of the two main features of being a grunt that i think that we can we really can learn from in the church of um being ready to um not allow the right hand to know what the left is doing to not brag about um, what it is that we are capable of when we learn that we're capable of it um, but to to focus um, on what it is that we're called to do to accomplish it and then move on to the next thing humbly um, and uh, with with um, I don't know grace and, and dignity and and a certain amount of quietude, I think. A prayer for the mission of the church from the Book of Common Prayer. Ever-living God, whose will it is that all should come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ, inspire our witness to him, that all may know the power of his forgiveness and the hope of his resurrection, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.